0: welcome to thriller premium welcome to thriller premium in-depth
1: coverage
0: and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto welcome to thriller
1: insider
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world. Today is January 14th, 2020, and this is Thriller Insider. Today we are talking the decade of transformation. What is that? You're probably wondering. Car, what do you got up your sleeve today? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this over the weekend, um, yesterday, even, even today. I've been thinking about what Bitcoin was, what crypto was in the 2010s. Like, seriously. Looking at the, just the the trajectory of everything, the the Bitcoin address count, we see that it it trended really high, (laughs) especially in uh, 2011, right? Uh, And then it got significantly higher, right? Right before 2017. Um, And that all followed because of price, right? This, This is nothing new. You know this and the course that we know the first bitcoin transaction occurred January 12, 2009 when Satoshi Nakamoto sent 10 BTC to Hal Finney so we know that regardless of price that the bitcoin address count is going to continue to move and it did throughout the 2010s uh, currently right now we have a little over well actually at this point it's probably a lot over 100 or 820,000 number of unique addresses that transacted bitcoin last year so what am i saying well i'm saying that bitcoin has outperformed pretty much every asset on the planet (laughs) right if we just look at bitcoin in the 2010s we can see that bitcoin outperformed the world's most popular stocks right including tech stocks and the s&p 500 and we know it fluctuates it goes up and down it's very uh uh, it goes in this cycle that happens all the time, right? Bitcoin's price will fluctuate. It will trend up and to the right following many bull runs. <laughs> we're, we're, we're reaching that today where we're going up. Like I said, we're, we're going to try to be out of 9K here by the end of January, right? Uh, and then five to six weeks before the halving, we're going to see it drop. And then it's going to lead to the halving. And then we're going to see that go further down. And then people are going to freak out. And at that point, we start the next major bull run. And this is how it's always happened, right? But if you look at, uh, in comparison to NASDAQ, right? If you look at the NASDAQ 100, it generated plus 17%. The S&P 500 generated plus 12%. Um, And if you look at uh, Bitcoin, (laughs) it it generated uh, plus 132% in return compared to all those little small pickings. <laughs> so even if you're one of the craziest investors out there who, who doesn't understand any of this stuff and you just hold Bitcoin throughout the 2010s, you're seeing 132% return on any given day uh, in, you know, in the past year or so, right? So what does this mean for Bitcoin and crypto in the 2020s? And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this this new decade, this new 2020 decade. And it's kind of this idea that I've been kind of grabbing and and kind of grasping with as well from all over the place. Um, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase gave a a really amazing uh, kind of like a post about where he saw, you know, crypto and Bitcoin going in the 2020s. Of course, Tyler and um, Cameron Winklevoss from the Gemini also talked about where they see Bitcoin and crypto going in the 2020s. So there's all these these, these thought leaders in our space, uh, and the ones who control <laughs> the majority of the Bitcoin, right, in uh, these centralized exchanges. Um, and they were talking about where they see everything going. I, I was just like, man, this is, I started thinking about, it, was like, this is going to become a decade of transformation. Like, seriously, it's going to, it's looking like it's going to be a lot more challenging the 2010s um and as an as an average investor out there um, they'll need to look at their short-term needs against their long-term goals right because not everybody is in the same you know boat right there's some people that are looking at a a three-year or two-year return on their crypto or bitcoin investment and there's other people that are looking at a you know seven-year 10-year plus return on their crypto or bitcoin investment and ultimately, everybody everybody wants to you know pay their bills, you know, on time in full, right? And we all want to retire <laughs> at some point, right? And we also want to grow as much wealth as possible. I think I think you ask anybody out there, what's their main goal? You know, once they reach a certain age, they're like, well, I just want to make some money and have enough wealth to to support myself and my family. Uh, these aren't like objectives, you know, that are in conflict with each other, they, they kind of go hand in hand, right? And so with all this in mind, I built this episode to help you evaluate how to navigate the decade ahead in crypto and Bitcoin, just to kind of give you like, what are these key things that these thought leaders in the space are talking about, and how they're going to pinpoint where we head um, into this next, de- this next decade? Like, what are we going to have to look out for? And so the first thing I want to get into is scalability, right? If you look at where Bitcoin was in the early 2010s, we, we saw a scale. We saw a fork happen, right, with Segwit. We know that there's new blockchains that are coming out. Cosmos, <laughs> uh, Tezos, right? Um, those are some of the popular ones. Ethereum 2, eventually, right? Um, Cardano is, is something that's been uh, been kind of working for a really long time. Uh, as trying to like get get it out and then run a test net here recently, and um, but I believe scalability is the prerequisite, kind of for this um, utility phase of crypto that before it really gets going, right? Because a lot of people think right now that there's a there's a vast majority of us paying in crypto, living in crypto, and there are there's some there's a subset of us, but the vast majority of us are just looking at this as an investment. We're holding. We're waiting, and, and that's kind of it, right? But um, I think in this next decade, we're gonna see scalability um, and, and these layer two solutions that happen uh, above the 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 blockchain. So if you have Ethereum as your right above, you know TCP IP, like right above that third layer, uh, and then right above ETH would be you know something like like a DAP, right? or maybe that is a sub a subnet or, or subset of, of characteristics that kind of, you know will check with the main chain and then make these API calls to to somewhere else, right? That's more centralized. So I think scalability in the 2020s is is a must for any of this to go anywhere. I think if we're not scaling um, at a fast rate, which we are, we definitely are scaling at a fast rate. But I think if we don't make this move here, Relatively soon, here by 2024, 2025, I think we're going to be in trouble. Um, if you look, if you look very similar to what the internet did, right? If you look at what the internet did uh, in, in this past decade, in, in uh, 1999 and into the, t- the 2010s and into 2005, this is when everybody went from like these 56k modems and got DSL lines and cable modems, and now everybody you know, it's, you know, hopefully on fiber. (laughs) I'm one of the lucky people, this new place that we're at, we have fiber (laughs) built in. So it's awesome. Gig up, gig down. It's great. Um, But not everybody has that, right? But like, these, these things are rolling out all over the place, right? So eventually, the scalability is still going to be an issue if we don't resolve that. And that can only happen through, uh, you know, TPS, like transactions per second, and by building these second layer solutions. So it's going to be Very, very important to make sure that we have Cosmos or Tendermint or any of these number of these new blockchains that are using proof of stake um, to actually roll this stuff out here very soon. I would hope within the next two years and to um, increase the TPS transaction count uh, on the main chain. Right. And I think once we do that, then we'll we'll see crypto and, and Bitcoin scale. Right. And people people often think that, oh, Bitcoin can't do second layer. Technically, it can. Lightning is something that is I would consider a second layer of Bitcoin. Um, So that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not just with the Ethereum movement that's happening right now. Of course, they have the lead, but it's even with Bitcoin and it's even with uh, these new um, blockchains. Right. So I think we have to see that in order for any of this to work is it starts with scalability.
0: How do you how do you do that as an investor? Like what, when you're looking at some new thing that's happening, you know, how do you make up your mind that this is gonna be something interesting?
1: Well, I think a couple, couple things I try to do. Um, one is, I try to always force myself to think about what the next thing is gonna be, as opposed to what the current thing is gonna be. Because it's relatively easy to get caught up in the current thing. Um, you know, uh, companies that are growing super quickly and going public, and and all those things—they're they're, exciting. Those are exciting things, but they're not the next thing, right? And so, if you if you don't kind of force yourself to say what's out there on the horizon, what 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 is what is that going to be? Then then you 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 will just kind of continue to spend your time and energy focused on the same things everybody else does. So one is just like making it a point every single day to try to force yourself out there. And then the second thing is um, to have like some basic kind of um, uh, pattern recognition or just like some way to kind of tell, oh, this is gonna be big. And, and the thing that that Bitcoin had that reminded me of the internet was that it was this decentralized thing that um, that didn't have like a didn't have an owner at the core of it, right? Like when they, when I first found out about the internet back in the early '90s, I was like, yeah, "But who owns it?" And it was like, "Well, nobody owns it. It's like this this network, this decentralized network." And you know, people explained to me it was designed this way by the Defense Department so that it couldn't be you know taken out. You know, so there was no centralized thing to take it out. And I always kind of like that always kind of stuck at me like, wow, but that was the central design paradigm to create the resiliency. And it also turned out to be important in a lot of other ways. So When Bitcoin came along and I was like, it was explained to me that, you know, here's a way to create money and lots of other important things without a central, you know, entity. I was like, that's important. Like I didn't really even, it wasn't even much more than that. Sometimes it's better I think, just keep things simple, right? And like, my partner Albert was like, yeah, but you know, do you understand how the consensus mechanism works? No, not really, <laughs> do you, you know? Uh, do you understand how the inflation model works? No, not really, you know? And he was like, kind of beating me up a little bit about that and I was like, but here's what I can tell you. like. This is going to be a big fucking deal. Like, we need to invest in this thing. So you got to get over your shit, and we got to figure out how to invest in it.
2: (laughs) And and and, you know that's Fred Wilson. He's a VC, right? So if we look at uh, just that type of demo, right, and and the smaller institutions, right, that are that have came into this space here in the past 18 months. Uh, Earlier last year, I talked a lot about how there's five big conglomerates uh, in the financial in the financial space, and one of those conglomerates has sat down and that was Fidelity, right? One of those five, right? We're still waiting for Vanguard and I forget the other three off the top of my head. But what I'm saying is these larger institutions have, one of them has come and more are coming. And I think we're going to continue to see this rapid growth here in 2020 and in 2021 and 2022. Um, And I think at that point, most of these funds Will keep a portion of their assets in cryptocurrencies because it's uncorrelated returns, Um, and there's there's a huge potential upside to a lot of this, right? And if you look at if you look at the vast majority of these institutions, like ninety percent of the money in the world is locked up in these things, right? So even if you were to get some of them, um, you know, crypto, get some of them into crypto and put placed into these into these digital assets. even then, you would see uh, something to the likes of like 10, 100x, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to say. Like it, it's it's just it's not a matter matter of when or or how. It's a matter of of, of just of knowing that it's gonna happen. Um, and I, if, I think in in the longer term, as people get more comfortable with these kind of cycles to the market, I think we're gonna see um, cryptocurrency become uh, this critical operation to these financial institutions. And I think it's just going to keep scaling and scaling. And I think another thing that most people don't take into a, to account is these emerging markets, right? So if you look in particular to some of these countries with high inflation rates, right. And a lot of them don't have a stable financial system in place. Um, so something like Venezuela is a perfect example of one of them, right. Where they, they are taking cryptocurrency and dash, uh, you know, it to, uh, to like a churches or like a KFC or something, right? And this indicates that these places are utilizing crypto and, and maybe not all of them are paying in crypto, but it indicates that the tools have already started because they're there, right? And it's crossed a certain threshold, even if that threshold is minor. Um, but the usability in these emerging markets um, with uh, will have will sustain over time. And I think once you have that user adoption happen, um, it'll be more commonplace in these emerging markets. And I think another thing most people don't realize, too, is that you had Stellar, like, back in, like, 2015, 2016, do a lot of outreach in Africa. And you have Cardano in 2017, 2018, 2019, do a lot of outreach in Ethiopia and some of these other places that you know, that struggle with a financial system, right? And a lot of these places have... Maybe not the the most reliable internet, right? Um, maybe they have older smartphones, but if we look at some of the smartphones that they do have they're 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 fast enough and and uh, strong enough to 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 accept cryptocurrencies and to trade cryptocurrencies and to pay with cryptocurrencies um it, it becomes a wallet for them. Um, and I'm hoping here in the in the next decade that we'll see this um the majority of these transactions come from these countries, and I, I think they will, because at a certain point, um, somebody gives you Bitcoin, somebody gives you Bitcoin Cash, somebody gives you Dash, whatever the coin of choice is, Litecoin, um, and then you see you see it kind of going up, right? Maybe there's like a one or two percent, you know, drop per day or whatever it is, um, and then you see your <laughs> your uh, you know country backed uh, uh, fiat dollar like it's a no brainer at a certain point, point. Um, and I think. I think in the future, I think in the very near future, we'll start seeing that kind of pay off. And I think if you take a look at just these emerging markets and you take a look at just these institutions that are coming on, um, that should give you an idea of where we're headed here
0: in the next decade. You know, the the first trend that strikes me is diversification. You know,
2: we can see here that crypto is becoming a a global industry. It's largely divided between activity in the U.S. and Asia, um, other countries adopting. But uh, this perspective, I think, obscures the true character of the market. Uh, It is not at all uniform. It is actually quite diverse. It's quite different across regions and countries. Uh, and you see very different uses in different locations. And I think
0: that that diversification will continue for a long time. I think you'll see uh, a proliferation of different uses, especially in emerging markets. And so, you
2: know, I would just highlight that that we tend to think of it as one unit, as one thing, and it's, it's not at all. I think in the near future, we're gonna see privacy become integ- integrated into a major chain. Uh, and I, I'm talking about like a major chain like, you know, Litecoin, Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, um, uh, Zcash is already a privacy coin to a certain extent. Um, but I think what's going to happen is one of these coins is going to give it. It's probably going to be Litecoin, believe it or not. Uh, and they'll they'll introduce privacy into their their main chain, and it'll be a privacy feature. And and this will be the way people, you know, will send money privately, right on the ledger. Um, I think that's going to have to be a feature that gets added on to mold to multiple blockchains in the future in the 2020s. And I think if you just look at something as simple as just like HTTP and HTTPS, you'll start to realize that uh, privacy is needed for for certain transactions. Uh, just like you know just like um, you would have transactions that utilize uh, digital identity but a decentralized version of it, right? Um, and the, or you would have something that uses uh, something to the likes of, of like Zcash, right? Where uh, you have like ZK snarks. Um, so they're at a certain point, they're going to have to introduce uh, these privacy features um, into these blockchains. And I think it's going to probably start with Litecoin. It, and We'll kind of see how that plays out and whether it will be good or bad and other people will learn from it. Uh, but these spaces will continually evolve and will continually um, iterate into the 2020s. And it's gonna turn into this kind of um, transformation. And I think I think multiple people in the space tend to think that it's just Bitcoin, and there's nothing else, but I think they're not thinking too far into the future. They're thinking um, bull run to bull run. <laughs> and that's all well and good, right? But you wanna see this all scale, because if, if I've learned anything being in the space for a very short time, it's that, um, Everything lives and breathes through Bitcoin. So if you have some of these other blockchains succeed, that only helps Bitcoin in the long run, in my opinion. Uh, One of the the last things I kind of wanted to touch on was the um, CBDC. Uh, You're probably going to hear this a lot this year. It's the central bank digital currency. Um, just like you have these these uh, these these uh, cryptocurrencies with these privacy features, privacy features in the future. You'll have these CBDC coins, which will be the central bank coins. And um, the United States is going to be playing catch up here pretty soon. I would say within the next five years, they're going to release their own digital currency. And I, I think that's uh, at a certain point, we're all going to we're all going to notice this. Right. <laughs> whether it's they whether they're using the new system that. That uh, the Federal Reserve is creating called Fed Now, or or if it's going to be like a Fed coin, um, this digitized dollar is, is going to be on the blockchain. It's going to be very centralized. It's going to be watched by, <laughs> it's going to be watched by everything. Um, but you are going to see these central bank digital currencies start coming out, and it might even be like, you know, a Wells Fargo coin or like a <laughs> Bank of America coin, right? That, that turn into these U.S. dollar coins. Uh, maybe you know you have companies like Target or, or Walmart that. That are incentivized to use Well, Fargo. If you're a Wells Fargo customer, you use these Wells Fargo coins. You get $10 worth of Wells Fargo coins back. Who knows how they're going to do it? But you're going to see these uh, these these digitized coins start kind of taking hold. And this is all started because of Libra, right? Uh, Facebook really did us a favor by by going out there in full force this past year and, and forcing everybody to look at digital currencies and wondering whether they should give them the permission to do it or not. And then forcing their hand to start this revolution. Um, so there's one thing that came out of this last decade that was very important was the Facebook thing because it got everybody to pay attention and to play a little bit of catch up. And we can kind of see um, China already doing that right now with their about, they're about to release their own digital currency. So I think eventually, I think we're going to see some kind of IMF coin or central bank coin but, or United States coin or a Fed coin. But it's going to happen within this, this decade, within, I would say, within the next five years, I would, I would assume. But we'll see.
0: So the, bear, the bull and the bear case. Uh, the bull case for for Libra is that um, Facebook has, you know, one to two billion monthly active users that they can introduce to crypto. And that would be huge. I mean, today, probably only 50 million people in the world own um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And that would be, you know, a couple orders of magnitude increase from there if they started to expose people to it. Um, another thing, you know, people, I'd say in the pro column is that, well, sorry, I don't want to make this too pro. It's, it's, it's somewhere in between. Um, people always talk about, well, is it decentralized or is it centralized? And I think they think of it as almost like a binary thing, like, are you decentralized or not? And it's really more of like a spectrum. So, you know, on the left side of the spectrum, maybe the most centralized thing is like, one, um, person or country or a company, you know, controls it, um, like visa or, you know, I think the U S dollar has like a few, a federal reserve chairman or something like that. Um, or one federal reserve chairman, but a couple, um, I forget what they call the next position down. And then the most decentralized thing would probably be like Bitcoin, right? Where it's anybody can run it on their own laptop anywhere in the world. Um, many, you know, tens of thousands of nodes and that kind of thing. So. Libra is somewhere in the middle. It's Today it has about 25 companies that make up this consortium. Um, it's a common misconception. People think it's a Facebook coin. Well, really, there's about 25 companies that are in this consortium. And Facebook is one of them. Coinbase is another one. Um, and each one of them has equal voting power. Eventually, there'll be about 100 of those or so. So it, it's is it sufficiently decentralized? You know, The answer is, is maybe. I think in practice, it would be pretty difficult for... Someone to come in and um, kind of send a court order to one company and say, seize these funds or block this or something. They'd have to do it to, I believe, like a third of the companies um, that are in the consortium. And um, just as a practical matter, that'll be kind of difficult, especially as they add more members that are outside the U.S. There's only a couple today. So I think in practice, it could be fairly decentralized. Um, And, and of course, the other pro is they'll get one to two billion people potentially exposed to this thing. I guess the other thing I like about it, too, is that it has a basket of fiat currencies backing it, including other things like crypto. Um, You know, crypto, I think, is probably the better long term solution. But as an interim solution, it's nice to have a basket of currencies because I think, you know, um, people in China, they don't want to necessarily use like a U.S. dollar coin or in India or places like that. So what's the bear case for Libra? Right. It's not all rosy. I mean, one downside to it is that um, because it has still kind of a U.S. regulatory um, nexus to it, it's not going to be able to be a truly global um, cryptocurrency. So, you know, in the U.S., uh, via OFAC rules, you can't um, send money into um, Iran and North Korea and places like that. And so and honestly, there's probably people in those countries that would benefit from having more stable currency and financial and economic freedom right so in that sense it doesn't really offer the promises of like a true decentralized cryptocurrency um you know there's another downside to it which is that facebook's brand is really struggling right now and um i you saw like congress has reached out and everything to kind of really put pressure on it so will people trust it with you know i think it's a misconception like it's it's not a facebook coin but facebook is sort of it was came out of that as an idea. And now it's in this consortium with Facebook, Facebook being one of the members. Will people be able to understand that and separate the two in their mind? Unclear. Um, Yeah, and I guess if there's maybe um, one more thought on it, I don't know. It's just, it hasn't gotten, it's not like live yet, right? So there's- Yeah, yeah, there's just a testnet. They're gonna try to do it in a year. Consortiums in financial services have traditionally not been very successful. Um, there might be one example, like I've been reading this book about the history of Visa and how it was founded uh, by the founder.
1: Do you know, what's it called? Um, if you
0: remember. it's something about like, uh, K, the chaotic organization and the, the monkey mind or something it has okay. like a crazy name. I gotta remember that. <laughs> yeah. By D Hawk. But, um, you know, that might be the exception that proved the rule. Cause I think when he came in there, it was a consortium, but he started to operate it more like a, like a private company. I haven't finished reading the book yet, but that's. Consortiums are generally good at like mitigating downside, but they don't um, mi- quickly make progress and iterate. So it'll be very interesting to see if they're able to make that successful.
2: So I think ultimately, if, if you just take what Brian said there and you look at the overall kind of like high overview of everything he said, um, he's really talking about these next generation protocols. And, and t- today we can look at Cosmos, Polkadot. Like I said, if the ETH to um, Tezos, um, Cardano, like stuff like this, and they are great teams working, you know, on building out these layer two scalar solutions, especially because they're they're most of them are proof of stake. Um, and so I think what we're going to see is a consolidation of these these big blockchains. I think that's just inevitable. I think to think that these multiple chains will live on uh, throughout this next decade is just it's just not it's just not possible. Um, I think we're going to have some winners and losers. I think we're going to have some um, combinations of, of cryptocurrencies kind of merge together um, or we'll see some big, you know, big. Let's take Ethereum, for example, say they take the lead into the 2020s and then it's just. Uh, Everybody is contributing to making sure that Ethereum functions and and works properly so this whole ecosystem can stay afloat, right? Because we have these DAOs, we have these DeFi applications on there. Um, And I think that's going to lead into um, more decentralization, right? We're going to have these DEXs, we're going to have these dApps. and. I think as this co-crypto economy grows more people will will earn a living making using crypto uh, or u- making crypto and they'll, they'll feel this sense of, of entitlement and empowerment because it's it's decentralized right and and ultimately you own the money that you have right and and so I, I think if we if we clearly look at just how Decentralization will grow within the 2020s, and the big companies that are behind it, right? And if we look at uh, this, this, this consolidation of these blockchains, kind of either work together to to pump, uh, not to pump, but to uh, uh, rise one blockchain above all else, uh, or you have these blockchains working together to kind of uh, unify the overall goal of of, of uh, decentralized finance or these DApps. Um, I think what you'll see is uh, a, a not not a fork of these chains, but maybe like a reverse fork, <laughs> where you had one chain uh, that's deprecated, like Ethereum Classic or something, and then it becomes um, somebody else's like uh, uh, a main chain, and then there's other these other blockchains that have been on top of it. I, I think it's I think it's going to be a very interesting decade to see how that kind of plays out. That's this is one of the things that I'm probably looking the most forward to is seeing how these blockchains kind of play out. And if I if I had this like running thing in my mind, it would kind of play out to where I think Ethereum, and if I could just speculate here, no one can predict the future, but if I could just like look into how I see this playing out, I would say like, I would say by like 2022, I think 2024, somewhere around there, people will realize that Ethereum 2 um, is is this next thing. And I think this is gonna be a critical year for Ethereum, you know, 2020, 2020 and 2021. Um, if Ethereum two takes off, like like it, hopefully it does, and we can roll out phase zero, we can uh, roll out these next phases. Um, I think you're gonna you're gonna see everybody just kind of move towards there, and it's just gonna happen naturally. And I, I think we won't start seeing uh, other real contenders happen until uh, either either Ethereum two gets stagnant, or developers fall off, or they just can't make that final turn, right? Um, but if everything goes right and Ethereum two takes off and have these uh, these next big blockchains like Polkadot or Cosmos come in and uh, they start connecting into Ethereum too. Um, and then you could start seeing kind of this this smorgasbord of protocols and blockchains that are like helping each other and then what's really interesting what really happens then is you start seeing these decentralized apps right and these are like real true decentralized apps these are the decentralized ubers of the world these are the decentralized airbnbs uh these are the decentralized uh you know ebay's these are the decentralized uh dexes like these are these are going to be like the true um vision for web3 um decentralized games like it's It's really, truly going to become um, an amazing, you know, uh, you know, kind of touchstone for the decade is once these uh, these blockchains kind of scale and they get to a certain threshold, um, these existing or not existing, but these non-existing layer two and layer three solutions can exist then. Right. And you can have developer tools around them and that's just going to get better with time. Education will get better in time. And then hopefully at that point, you'll start seeing. You know how cool it will it be to use decentralized Uber, right? That has decentralized identity to 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 make sure you're writing with the right person, and 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 it shows your decentralized identity, and all these these things talk to each other, um, or to have this IoT uh, IoT device like that that recognizes your crypto wallet because uh, you scan the QR code, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have something out there, and you're paying with Bitcoin, and it's just like everything's functions just seamlessly, and it. it Eventually, that scaling solution will get built out for these existing chains, and these chains will either fall off or they'll have to work together to stay on. And I think that's going to be the fun part to watch here in this next decade. And it's going to be, it's going to be transformational. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting as hell to see how that all works out. But the great thing about this is Web3 will happen. Um, decentralized identity will happen. We'll start seeing... You know, these new virtual worlds, uh, these online communities with their own economies, right? Well, I mean, Mana is hopefully, hopefully decentralized will be one of them. But you know what I'm saying? Like this, this magical place of innovation that is purely crypto to crypto using these cryptographic protocols. Uh, it's going to be amazing to think how that kind of plays out. Um, and that's what we're going to see this decade. Um, we'll hopefully start seeing that, I would say, by 2025, 2026, 2027. And that's going to be really hell of fun. And um, Yeah, that's I think that's going to be, you know, one of the things that I'm going to look forward to uh, the most. And that's you can tell my voice. I'm getting really excited about that (laughs) because that's that's kind of the future I want. Um, It's going to be cool. Um, Anyways, that's all I got for this episode of Thor Insider. I just wanted to get your kind of uh, mind going with where this is headed in the future, because I want you to think about like. This decade, this 2020s decade will be a decade of transformation, that's for sure. You have a lot of thought leaders in the space talking about how there's going to be transformative tech that will happen in this decade. If we look at just roadmaps you know, for the next year or so, you can start seeing like, oh, wow. On-chain governance, proof of stake—like this, these are things that are happening. These are things that need to happen. And yes, it goes at a slower pace. And yes, we may fight with each other all the time. And yes, uh, <laughs> there might be people still hating on whatever chain that they back or whatever crypto they hold. But you have to think about it. Like we're like a toddler that's running, you know, to the next grade, right? And 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 maybe we're reckless and stuff, but um, we're 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 at a fast pace. Uh, with a lot of this stuff and it's building very very fast and that's the coolest part if you're really in this for the technology you start seeing like wow this is going a lot faster than i thought it would because if you ask me like s- some of the things that we're doing already uh like even just with just like dowels right or proof of stake like the fact that it's happening already and it's only been like two years since 2017 is it's just crazy to think right or even three years right so it's just nuts to think to see this kind of already roll out and that was fast um uh, just for somebody being in technology himself every day like 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 a lot of this stuff really just takes work uh, and application and uh, and just persistence and, and a lot of stuff there's no there's no actual like um uh, like toolkit to show you how to do this stuff it's you going out there doing the research yourself and then figuring out a way to implement it and then talking amongst yourselves in the space and trying to figure this out um from from kind of the bare metal up so it's it's going to be cool to watch and yeah. You know, if there is one thing that kind of got me through this whole bear market in, in 2018 and in, in 2019, um, it would be the technology uh it would be watching it grow and um myself being a fan of technology um i like learning new things right Um, one of the main reasons for starting this podcast is to learn new things about this technology and to do the research um but it's that persistence of trying to get to that i guess crypto singularity uh is what drives a lot of this innovation um, I think at a certain point do we have to start looking amongst ourselves and realizing that, yeah, um, uh, money's gonna be there, <laughs> money will eventually come out of all of this, um, but this next decade is gonna be a transformation of how we not only transact on the web, but how we potentially could change the world because of these cryptographic protocols.